0: As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father on earth, your son reminded us of your truth that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we pray that you would feed us now with your word incarnate, our Lord Jesus Christ, and give us life in him. For we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Job chapter 33, Job chapter 33, we want to think about this passage in light of what the catechism has to teach us about Christ our mediator. So Job chapter 33, we'll read the whole chapter together and meditate on it. You can see by the title in most of our Bibles that this is part of Elihu's speech to Job, Job's youngest friend who's waited for the wisdom of others before speaking. And this is in the middle of his speech to Job in chapter 33. So let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. But now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. Behold, I open my mouth, the tongue in my mouth speaks. My words declare the uprightness of my heart, and what my lips know, they speak sincerely. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can, set your words in order before me, take your stand. Behold, I am toward, toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Surely you have spoken in my ears and have heard the sound of your words. And I have heard the sound of your words. You say, I am pure, without transgression I am clean and there is no iniquity in me. Behold, he finds occasions against me and counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches all my paths. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand to declare to a man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down into the pit, I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Behold, God does all these things, twice, three times with a man, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be lighted with the light of life. Pay attention, O Job. Listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have any words, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, One of the interesting features of the catechism as it goes through the basics of of the Apostles' Creed is to continue to come back and to teach the truth and then to pause and ask that important teaching question, Why do we need to know this? Um, The Heidelberg Catechism is so pastorally helpful because it often pauses to ask that question. It's not just about teaching us scriptural truths that we might sort of pile up the things that we know, uh, but it often wants to stop and ask the question, why does this benefit me? Why is this a comfort to me? Why is this useful for me to know? Um, If we want to put it in another way, we might say the catechism often will teach us the what, of scriptural truth, and then ask, so what? Um, Sometimes children do this in class, don't they? They ask, what am I ever going to use this for? Why do I need to learn this? And the catechism is often helpful to us by saying, this is why you need to learn this, uh, for your comfort, for your benefit. Um, And that's what we have in Lord's Day 14 of the catechism as it talks about uh, why it's important that we confess about what we confess about the holy uh, conception and birth of Christ in the Apostles' Creed. Um, What do we confess? What is the scriptural truth being taught in Lord's Day 14? Well, question 35 is teaching us about the true divinity and the true humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We read that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a true human nature, so that he might also become David's true descendant, like his brothers in all things except for sin. That's a rich scriptural truth about who Jesus is, that he is and remains the divine second person of the Trinity, but it is incarnation takes on himself a true human nature. That the human nature he takes on is holy because of the overshadowing work of the Holy Spirit, In bringing forth his conception. But he's a true human being. Because he draws his humanity. His flesh and blood from his mother Mary. And so this is. Bringing all together. The important scriptural truth. Of who Jesus is. Reverend Tedrick said this morning. That the the point of all theology. Is to be clear. um, Sometimes that's not always. How we think of it. We have a fancy word for this. Having the two natures. Of Christ united in one person. We call that the hypostatic union. I'm not sure if that makes it more clear for you or not. Um, But what we simply are saying is that in the one person, Jesus, are these two natures, both human and righteous and divine. Um, And that's who Jesus is as he comes into the world. And the second question of the Catechism, question 36, then asks the question, why is this so important? Why does he need to be truly God and truly man? Why is it important that he became like us um, in every way except for sin? Why is it important that we confess this? What is the benefit of that truth to us? And notice the catechism says, how does this benefit you? He is our mediator. And in God's sight, he covers with his innocence and perfect holiness my sin In which I was conceived. It's this reality of Christ that makes him a fit mediator. Um, And this is the solution that God has found to give us the kind of mediator that we need. uh, The kind of mediator that will benefit us. One who is truly human, but also truly God. Um, And it's really in the book of Job that we can see something of this struggle to find mediator, And it's in the book of Job that we see something of the kind of mediator that's needed. That's why I wanted for us to turn to the book of Job and think about uh, the mediatorial work of Christ as we see it um, playing out in this book. Because it's really in Job and in his discussions with his friends uh, that we see first the need for a mediator. Um, It comes to a clear uh, head in the book of Job why there is a need for a mediator. And then we understand clearly what the work of the mediator is uh, through these conversations. And then finally, the provision of a mediator, the mediator they were looking for that has been provided for God's people in Jesus Christ. That's why we want to think about this tonight, the need for a mediator, the work of the mediator, and the provision of a mediator. Uh, We don't have all the, the time in the world tonight to explore even all the riches of chapter 33 as Elihu comes. But one of the things as Elihu comes last in speaking to Job, there's all these chapters of things that happen. This is the benefit of a seminary education. You can stand up and say, chapter 33 comes after 32 other chapters. Um, This is sort of the insight you pay for. Um, But what what are we saying in that? Well, there's a lot of dialogue that's gone back and forth before Elihu has said anything. And one of the things that Elihu stands up and does is say, I've been listening to everything everyone has said. Um, And I've been sort of laying back as everyone says the things that they've had to say. And I've waited till now to say anything. And so one of the interesting things about his speech coming as the wise person who speaks at the end of the book, coming in a sense as almost like John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ. Elihu is the one who speaks before God speaks. Um, He brings a lot of wisdom, but he brings a lot of wisdom that's been sort of in debate and in discussion throughout the book as he appears on the scene. And he does bring up some of the issues in this speech that have come up as Job and the other friends have discoursed about God and his faithfulness. And it's through this discussion that we can see something of the importance of having a mediator that we can relate to. Um, Having a mediator that we can relate to. A mediator who is truly human. Um, And I think that's, we see something of that in how Elihu begins his speech when he says in verse 4, he begins to talk about how he is like Job. Notice he says, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can, set your words in order before me, take your stand. Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. Um, why does he say, look, I'm I'm just a man like you. There's nothing to be afraid of here. We're, we're exactly the same. We have the same kind of nature from the same kind of creation. We can talk to each other. Why does he say that? Well, because Job has earlier said, I can't talk to God this way. But one of the stresses that Job has is he realizes he can't stand before God and talk to God the way he can talk to a man Um, because God is not like him. Uh, God is greater than him. Um, Job had earlier expressed the sort of inability of man to appear before God and to appear before God and have that do you any good if you don't have a mediator. Job has said, I can't can't go to God and argue with him. Why couldn't he go and argue with him? Well, he kind of summarizes it in chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, when he says, for he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not the dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. That really is a summary of the struggle that Job was expressing throughout that chapter. As one commentator put it, he knows he cannot win an argument because God is stronger. He cannot dictate because God is sovereign. He says he cannot cleanse himself because God will reject him. What is more the difference between him and God is so great that there is no one who can intervene and bring them both together. So what can he do? If there was a mediator, if there was someone who could put his hand on me and put his hand on God, then maybe we could come together. Uh, But there isn't. And so it terrifies me to think of talking to him of trying to put my case before him. You see how how that shapes how Elihu comes to him and says, okay, well, now then let's you and I talk. Because I'm like you. You certainly could take your stand before me. I don't need to terrify you. I'm a man like you. Um, But what is that reminding us of? What What is that point communicating to us? It's something of that truth. That mere man has to stand in awe of God's far superior power and sovereignty and holiness. That a mere man couldn't hope to come into a contest with the living God. Um, He would be too great and he would be too sovereign and he would be too holy for us. Mere man is unable to contend with God. Um, But Elihu says, I am a man, so you don't need to fear me. And what is that helping us to understand? It's something that helps us to understand our need for a mediator is one that we can not be terrified of. One who we can actually relate to. And at the same time, he must be a heavenly mediator. So we need someone who won't terrify us, but we also need someone who can truly intercede for us from heaven. And that's what Elihu is also determined to remind Job about. That Job has said importantly true things about God. That yes, God is powerful. And yes, he's sovereign. And yes, he's holy. But he's also just. And he's also merciful. He's also loving. Job knows these things. And Elihu means to remind him of those things. To remind him of the truth that Job also declared earlier when he said even though I cannot contend with heaven I know that heaven does not forget the righteous I know that heaven is not unmindful of the people of God in their struggles I know that our God hears us when we call hears us when we suffer unjustly and will certainly answer our cries Job had also expressed the confidence that heaven does not forget the righteous in their suffering. It's beautifully expressed by Job in Job 16, 18 through 22 when he says, O earth, cover not my blood and let my cry find no resting place. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven and he who testifies for me is on high. My friends scorn me my eye pours out tears to God that he would argue the case of a man with God as a son of man does with his neighbor. For when a few years have come, I shall go the way from which I shall not return. There's a hope there that heaven will argue for him, that heaven will witness for him. Um, and and what, is he, what is he drawing to mind in that picture when he says, O earth, cover not my blood? I think the commentators are right who have, see him having in mind the blood of Abel after his blood has been spilled by Cain. And God comes to Cain and gives him that chance to confess his sin before God and says, where is your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And God says, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's calling to me for justice as the avenger of the world to come and avenge this wrongdoing. And that's what Job is saying here. Earth, don't cover my blood. Let that call come up to heaven because there's someone in heaven who hears. There's a witness who will take up my cause and argue it for me. And argue it for me, interestingly, he says, like a son of man does with his neighbor. There is a witness in heaven for me. I can't contend with God, but heaven will contend for me. You see, there's this constant appreciation in the book of Job of what he's looking for. I can't go to God by myself, but heaven has to take up the cause or there is no hope. If God won't argue like a man argues for his neighbor, then where would the hope be? Um, it's capturing all of, in all of these ways our need for a mediator. One that won't terrify us, who will take up our cause like a friend. Uh, one who is in heaven, but won't terrify us with his heavenly glory. You see how this begins to narrow the kind of person you're looking for. The kind of arbiter or mediator that you're looking for. And Job is confident that there is this person who exists. One person, as a commentator said, who will lay his hand on Job and God and bring them together in a legal setting, an intercessor who pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. And he goes on and says, Job weeps imploring tears, desiring that what he has glimpsed may become reality and that his, wit- a wit- his witness may speak to God as one man does with another. What does Job need, what do we need? A mediator who won't terrify us with his majesty, but who can lay his hand on us and on God and reconcile us to one another. Who can stand up and plead our cause. That's the need we have for a mediator who can do that work. And it's the work of the mediator that we can turn to. And once we understand the need, we can see the work that that mediator will need to do in two ways. He needs to be able to minister to us for our comfort. And he needs to be able to minister before God for our salvation. Um, and one of the things that Elihu is doing and what he's saying to Job is that there are many ways in which God ministers to his people. You know, you've said, Job, that, that God is there, but he's not, stop, not speaking not talking to you. He said, you know, there are many ways that the Lord talks to his people. There are many ways that the Lord communicates his need, his his word and his will to his people. He says, you know, he does that two, three times. There are many ways that God does this. He does it in a lot of different ways. You're asking for one way in particular. But sometimes God speaks in dreams and visions and makes his will known. Sometimes he makes his will known through suffering. And one of the interesting things that Elihu goes on to say is, and sometimes he makes himself known by way of a mediator. In um, verse twenty-three, if there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand, to declare to man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, "Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom." Right? There are ways that the Lord speaks. We know that angel in the Old Testament really just means messenger. So another way of translating that would be to say in verse 23, if there be for him a messenger, a mediator, one of a thousand. Um, Maybe we would say one in a thousand of kind of the worth and the quality of this kind of mediator who comes and speaks. And Elihu is saying, you know, the Lord speaks in a lot of different ways. Um, He speaks to us in dreams and visions. Sometimes he speaks to us... In suffering, sometimes he speaks to us by a friend who comes and says, I'm just like you, but let me, let me contend for God here a minute. Uh, Elihu is becoming a messenger and a mediator to Job from the Lord to speak the truth of what's right. Uh, God, pro- God provides his people with many such ministers. He's given us his word to remind us of, of what the righteous have to suffer in this life. God has sent prophets and minister and apostles and ministers to us throughout the ages. Ministers speak the word of God to us. We have many people who minister the word declaring to a man what is right for him. But all of those ministers and messengers can declare the word. But what can they not do? They can't provide the ransom, right? They can't provide the things that the messengers talk about. Because Elihu can talk about the ransom that's been found in verse 24. And he can talk about the acceptance and the restoration of man in verse 26. Um, he can talk about redemption in verse 28. You can declare those things, but, but Elihu can't provide those things. There's only one mediator who can actually provide the ransom and provide the restoration. And provide the redemption. um, That's one in a thousand who can do that. That's a very particular messenger. A very particular mediator that can do that. And who is the only one who can do that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the importance of someone coming into the world. Who can be that kind of mediator. Who in God's sight can cover with his innocence and perfect holiness. My sin in which I was conceived. Christ is the one who can comfort us. In his humanity. And can plead for us in his divinity. Who can put his hand on us and on God. And stand up before the father on our behalf. And pay the ransom that sets us free. And restore us. To life and glory and redeem us from our slavery to sin. And the book of Job provides one of the great pictures of that work of the Redeemer um, in the well-known and well-loved verses of Job 19, verses 25 to 27, where Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my sin has been after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Um, I had the opportunity in the seminary to take a class on Job with Professor Howell Jones, who was wonderful on this book and particularly on this passage and his teaching on this was so wonderful, but he kind of helped us to see what is Job talking about as a redeemer in this kind of context. He's talking about what they would have called a kinsman redeemer. Um, you know, that that concept we're familiar with from the story of Boaz and Ruth in the, in, the, in the book of Ruth, where there is a near blood relative whose job it is to intercede for his family member. Um, that next of kin that takes on Certain obligations uh, for people in the family um, to recover his relative 's property if it 's been lost to recover his his relative 's liberty if he 's had to sell himself into slavery um, to avenge unjust deaths of his of his brother to marry his brother 's childless widow so that they might raise up children for his brother all of these kinds of things that a redeemer needed needed to do for people in that In that day. And it's pointed out that everything that you needed a kinsman redeemer to do, Job needed. Right? Where is Job at this point in his context? He's lost all his property, it's all been taken from him. Um, He's been so reduced in his sickness that he can hardly move around. His liberty has been so reduced. His whole family has been slaughtered and faced an unjust death he is left childless in the world everything he needs a kinsman redeemer to do is there Um, and he doesn't have one because his family has been wiped out and so it's a tremendous statement of faith that he makes when he says I know my redeemer lives because who could he be talking about There's something of a clue when he says, I know my redeemer lives, because he says lives in the same way God says in the word, as I live, declares the Lord. Job is saying, I know I have a redeemer who lives and who ever lives. Um, What is he saying there? God will be my redeemer. When I'm bereft of all other kin and all other hope, who will be my hope? God will be my hope. God will be the kinsman redeemer that I need. And I know that he lives. He ever lives and never dies. He will always be there to intercede for me. And to do what I particularly need him to do, which is to stand up for me. Um, You might remember in the story of Ruth and Boaz, Boaz was not her nearest kinsman redeemer. Right? There was someone else who was nearer than Boaz was to Ruth. And the question was first put to that redeemer, will you redeem? And he said, sure, until he realized kind of all the obligations that came with it. And then he's like, you know what, no. Um, I didn't know it was going to cost that much. No, I won't do it. She had a redeemer, but what did he refuse to do? He refused to stand up. He refused to stand up for her and do what needed to be done. And what makes Boaz such a wonderful figure is that when it comes to him then as the nearest redeemer, will you stand up? I will stand up. I will redeem. I will redeem by paying the ransom that needs to be paid. I will not just be the redeemer in name. I will stand up and act. And that's what Job is hoping for. I know my Redeemer lives and that he will stand. He will stand up for me. And when will he stand up? Exactly when I need him to stand up. I know that my Redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth. In that last decisive moment, he will stand up and speak the word that decides the case he will speak the word that makes the verdict final. He will speak the word that settles matters once and for all. Right? Once Boaz stood up and paid the ransom price, that matter was settled once and for all. And that's Job's hope. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at that last and crucial decisive moment, he will stand up and speak the word that settles the matter. He will pay the ransom price and he will redeem. Uh, He will set me free. What's really glorious about that passage is that Job, without knowing it, is vindicating exactly what God had said to Satan would happen. Because he said, even though my skin is destroyed, I will see my Redeemer. Um, Even though after my skin is stripped away from me, my eyes will see him. I will see him standing up for me. Not another. My eyes will see him after my my skin is is flayed. And why is that so important? Because God said to Satan, have you considered my my servant Job? And what what did Satan say back to God? Yeah, skin for skin. Take away his flesh and see what he says. Touch his body, see what he says to you. Skin for skin, God. And what does Job say here? After my skin is destroyed, I know my Redeemer lives. And he'll stand on the earth and my eyes will see him and not another. Without knowing he's vindicated the Lord before the devil. Said exactly what the Lord said to the devil would be the truth. He knows that his Redeemer lives, and that at the decisive moment, he will step in and stand up for him, that he will pay the price needed and act as Redeemer. And that's what Elihu is saying to Job. Don't lose sight of what you've said. Don't lose sight of that truth that the Redeemer will redeem, and the messengers will have the pleasure of pointing to his redemption. And all of those glories of verse 20, verses 24 to 28 will become a reality. Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. Um, Who is the one who provides this for us, who acts as Redeemer? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who intervenes for his people in the decisive moment. And that's why this, this passage has become such a passage of hope for the people of God, Because it speaks to the condition of the final judgment. When the Lord comes and his feet are standing on the earth. When the trump sounds and the Lord descends and the judgment is, is coming. Then who will stand up for us in the judgment and speak the decisive word that sets us free once and for all. It's our redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we don't need to fear the judgment if we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because we have a Redeemer who lives and at that decisive moment, He will stand up for His people and He will pay the ransom. He has paid the ransom price that has set us free and will plead that ransom and settle the matter once and for all. That's why the commentator said, these words are therefore all of a piece with the Christian's expectation of being owned and vindicated at the last day through his kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Elihu speaks this word to him, and Job will have the pleasure of seeing the Lord. Right. It it, it isn't just at the end that Job will see this. Job actually sees this at the end of the book. We read in in Job 42.5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I seize you out of my torn flesh and ruined condition. I see you. Um, and the Lord restored to him all things. What has God provided us in a mediator? And what is the provision of a mediator God has made in the Lord Jesus Christ? One who is both holy and approachable. Right, Elihu said, I'm, I'm a man like you. You can approach me. The Lord Jesus Christ became a man like us holy, without sin, but approachable. Um, That that was the glory of what the Apostle Paul said. There is one mediator between God and men. There's one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Are you ever surprised that that's what he says? He doesn't say the God Christ Jesus, the God man Christ Jesus, the second person of the Trinity Christ Jesus. No, there's one mediator between God and men and he's a man. He doesn't need to terrify us. And who is that man? The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. The kind of man who would lay down his life for his friends. The kind of man who knows what it is to live in the difficulties of this life. Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a holy and an approachable mediator provided to us by our God. He's also that heavenly mediator we needed who can put his hand on God and on us and reconcile us together. Job was right to look to heaven for a witness, for a helper. Um, That's what Paul celebrates in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Made peace between God and man by the power of his cross. We have in Christ that mediator we needed who is a heavenly mediator, holy and approachable, but also an ever-living mediator. Whoever lives to intercede for his people. Um, we have a mediator we can look to when all other kinsmen fail. That was part of the reason we sang so many verses of Psalm 27, because it captures that when when all the rest of my people fail me, God does not fail me. Um, our earthly families may fail us from time to time. God will not fail us. Um, We have the confidence that our Redeemer lives and has reconciled us to God by the sacrifice of the infinite value of His life on the cross. Who has taken up that life again, indestructible and incorruptible, so that He might ever live to intercede for us before His Father. Who will live, and when the trump sounds and the Lord descends, will be there to intercede for His people as He promised And this good news is shared for our comfort. Um, What is the response to such good news? Well, Job 19, it was, My heart faints within me. It's such good news. In chapter 33, how is it expressed? With prayer and singing and shouting for joy. One person puts it, Prayer for mercy brings the sight of God's favor, and that generates a shout of joy, which includes the realization that one has been spared the judgment due and has been shown undeserved mercy. Why is it important that Jesus came, true God and true man? What benefit is it to us? Well, Job 33 says, He is our deliverer. He is our ransom. He is our resurrection to youthful vigor. He is the reason our sin is not repaid to us. He redeems our souls from the pit. He is the reason our lives will look upon the light. Are those benefits? Are those benefits worth having? Are those benefits we could find anywhere else than Christ our mediator, true God and true man, the man Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the word of job and for how he wrestles and looks to faith and and struggles with his suffering to to find the mediator he's looking for and how all of these discussions and all of these conversations help to coalesce a picture for us of what the mediator Jesus Christ would be like when he came into the world we thank you for providing us such a mediator who can minister to us for our comfort sympathize with us in our weakness and yet in his majesty and glory can put his hand on both you and us and bring us together and reconcile us to you by the ransom of himself. Thank you, Lord, for providing us such a kinsman redeemer, bringing us into your family that he might uh, be that relative that we need to provide us all that we need for body and soul and help us always to look to him as our only hope who will cover us with his innocence and perfect holiness and cover over our sin in which we were conceived. Thank you for him. And bless us, for we pray in his name, amen.